Welcome to the Accessible Yoga Podcast, your weekly source for questions and answers around equity in yoga, hosted by Jeevana Heyman and Amber Carnes. Join us each week for powerful conversations with thought leaders at the intersection of justice, knowledge, and practice. Welcome to episode six. I'm your host, Amber Carnes. In episode six, we'll be talking about lessons learned from the accessible yoga training. I interviewed Jeevana about the training, how it got started and evolved over the years, and we dig deep into the yoga philosophy behind this training that informs both of our work and the way that we teach. We talk about shifting the power dynamic between teacher and student and what happens when we give students the tools to work with their practice rather than insisting that they fit into a preconceived notion of shapes or poses or sequences. And finally, we talk about how the accessible yoga training builds community between teachers like us whose work sometimes feels isolating. If you've ever felt alone in trying to be the maybe one of a few or the only accessible teacher in your community, you're going to want to listen to this. Hey, Amber. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. It's, um, well, it's pretty early here in California. <laughs> so um, I was just gar- gardening, doing some morning gardening, uh, which is really nice for me. What are you growing? Oh, you know, my garden is mostly ornamentals. I have a small vegetable garden with, right now it has tomatoes and string beans, basil, carrots, which are not working. But <laughs> the, tomato, the tomatoes are basically done. Um, but mostly the garden's ornamentals. I used to be a gardener, you know, before the yoga thing happened to me. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's before I could, let's just say before I could make money teaching yoga, I was working as a gardener um, for many years and actually really messed up my back, which is part of what kept me going with yoga, is trying to take care of my back. Mm. um, Mm -hmm. Are you into gardening? I, yes, but I don't have a place to grow things right now, so... Um, I have uh, always usually had like a little outdoor space. When I lived in Richmond a couple years ago, we had some beds in the back. And I I have like a ridiculous amount of like, I don't know, farming knowledge that I haven't been able to always use. <laughs> like we moved to a farm uh, in West Virginia a couple of years back. And um, we're going to like live off the grid a little bit. And then it didn't really work out as it was like someone else's property. And that's like a long story that I'll publish in a hilarious essay at some point. But anyway, uh, yes, I like gardening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was hoping to actually volunteer at one of the like local community gardens or like urban farms here in Baltimore, but because of COVID, they aren't really like doing volunteer programs anymore. So I just live vicariously through you. Yeah. I'll have to send you more pictures. You know, it's it's amazing too because I live in Santa Barbara, where it's like the weather. It's just like it's amazing. It's a Mediterranean climate, and you can basically grow all year long. And wow. um, the soil is really incredible here. So I used to live, you know, up north, northern California, and it's just it's such a different climate, even within California. So these last years I've been here, I've really had to learn about different plants and um, yeah, different different ways to garden, basically in more warmer temperatures less water. Um, but it's fun. It just kind of keeps me grounded. Um, yeah. Just like my other yoga practice is gardening. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) It's funny. A friend of mine, um, who has never like owned a house plant and you know, he's like in his late forties, he recently like got some house plants and like helped him pick them out or whatever. And he was like, you know, they aren't growing very much. And I was like, it's been four days. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> manage your expectations <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like yoga practice it takes a little patience <laughs> yeah actually that's uh, plants teach me so much you know about that like patience but also sometimes like shocking amounts of growth in a short time like it's so funny how some plants you know you's like wait i just like checked you out last week and you're like twice the size like how'd that happen you know or some other plants yeah. are just like wait are you alive what's happening you're not moving you're not changing feels like me you know it's like how, that's how my life goes too I um, feel like we could do a whole like plant growth 
okay. metaphor sort of uh, we did it yeah, already. that's a good one we just did it <laughs> i know actually it's funny because i'm you know i'm writing a new book and my editor just told me this week she's like you need to stop with the gardening metaphors <laughs> really yeah she did She's like, a All right, few, well, okay, I guess so we could stop. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just, that's how my mind works. I think about the plants. Anyway, all right. That's not yeah. what we're talking about today, though. I think um, <laughs> this episode is going to be about the accessible yoga training and um, kind of give some insights into what the training is about and maybe um, share stories from past trainings. Right? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, definitely. I'm excited to chat with you about it because, you know, I'm uh, one of the accessible yoga trainers and we've been working together on that a couple of years now, but I'm really excited to actually talk to you about the way that it got started and sort of how it's grown and changed uh, over the past few years because it has grown and changed this year too, as we've moved online. Tell us how the training got started. I've said it before, like I'm, I'm an AIDS activist. That's what I was doing in the 80s and, and 90s when I was getting back into yoga myself. And um, when I decided to finally finish a teacher training, that was in 1995. Then I, went, I started teaching yoga for people with HIV and AIDS in San Francisco. And that work just kept going. And, and then I, there's a few different ways that it moved from there. One is I, I started um, leading 200-hour teacher trainings and um, for integral yoga in San Francisco, and that was amazing. I, I was just, I love teacher training. Like, it's such a beautiful space for growth and learning, and so I was just really excited about it. And and then my, my students, my, um, like, I was teaching regular classes in hospitals and community centers for people with disabilities all over the Bay Area. And my students were getting really, um, I don't know what the word is, advanced, I would say. Like they were, re- I think in my mind, they were ready to take teacher training. And so I kept encouraging them to come take this 200 hour program I was leading. Um, and some of them tried and it didn't go that well. So they felt overwhelmed by the pace of the training. Like sometimes even the building, it wasn't um, accessible. There's a lot of stairs to get in and the whole thing I realized wasn't really designed for accessibility. And so accessible yoga training originally started as a 200 hour training um, for people with disabilities to become yoga teachers. Uh, in fact, Priya Wagner um, was a student of mine and she's now involved, still involved with accessible yoga and on our board. And um, she and I kind of had that idea together, like make training accessible. So that, that was the original piece. And then it expanded from there. And that was, you know, so that was about training people with disabilities to be teachers. But then simultaneously, um, I had been working on a program with integral yoga to, to train yoga teachers to work with people with disabilities. Um, and so it kind of came out of that. The training kept changing at first, it got getting longer and longer. And so, um, it was like when before yoga therapy was formalized even mm-hmm. um and it was i think a hundred hours at one point <laughs> and um i just realized after a while that that's not really accessible either it was expensive it took a lot of time and so i think it was maybe just five years ago i think or something not that long ago that i kind of reconfigured the whole thing into this shorter program i kind of took what I thought of as like the most important elements. And I, and I changed my thinking also in terms of, um, you know, the goal of the practice, the goal of the program, which was, I think originally it was more yoga therapy. And I started to change um, my focus in my work, which, you know, I think maybe is more clear now, which has to do with um, equity and accessibility. And so I wanted a program that would, um, really help yoga yoga teachers just get like the basic um, amount of knowledge they need and experience to feel comfortable welcoming more people into their class. So the goal shifted, I guess. Yeah. Well, can you talk about that a little bit? Like uh, the notion of making welcome, I think is something that we definitely cover in the training, although it's not always sort of explicitly said that way, right? Like we kind of tell people it's about 
you know, incorporating folks with disabilities or with different mobility limitations or whatever into group classes. But it's not just the practical skills of like you can modify asana or whatever. It's it's so much more than that. So I wonder if you can talk about maybe how does the training prepare yoga teachers to make folks feel welcome or feel safe in their classes? Yeah, <clears throat> actually, I've been thinking a lot about that recently about uh, on kind of like a deeper level. Like what is what is it that I'm trying to share, you know, about yoga with, with people? And I think a lot of it has to do with ableism. And um, I was just writing about this, actually. I, I think ableism is, a you know, an important idea to understand that we often... Um, what's the word? I don't know. It often gets grouped together with other kinds of prejudice. It's, it's like another aspect of white supremacy. You know, there's a lot of attention on racism, thank God, right now. But mm-hmm. you can see ableism is like another form that it takes. And ableism is basically where you believe that one way of having a body or being in a body is better than another. That like one kind of body is better than another kind of body. And I think it's so ingrained in us. Like we just almost, especially in the West, especially like we really have trouble um, seeing beyond it. And I think that that's what I'm really interested in, actually, in the in the training, which I don't often don't say it. <laughs> Maybe I should. <laughs> but, you know, trying to get us to see that that ableist tendencies within yoga and within the Western yoga tradition um, to see it more clearly. And I think that's the thing that makes yoga unwelcoming and, and, and feels exclusive. It's quite insidious. I mean, one is pretty obvious, and I think we talk about it a lot, and that is kind of this obsession with um, physically challenging asanas mm-hmm. and equating advanced yoga with advanced asana, which I think, again, I think we've talked about that quite a bit. The other is a little less, um, it's a little more subtle, and that has to do with kind of this obsession with healing and fixing. And I think that that's where I think it's easy to to think what you're doing in yoga is actually helpful, but sometimes it's not. And, mm-hmm. and I think that means that we sometimes um, think that the job of a yoga teacher is to fix or heal somebody. And I think it's mistaken. I, I think um, yoga may be healing and it may, uh, I mean, it is healing. Yoga is healing, but it's not a matter of the yoga teacher healing the yoga student. And I think that we set up a, a really dangerous dynamic um, at least within yoga classes, that the student has some kind of lack or yeah. is yeah, like less than either in their ability and their understanding of their own issues, in their self-worth, something is missing and then the yoga teacher will come in and give that to them. And I feel like that dynamic is messed up and, and, and is dangerous, uh, disempowering for the student and and actually, it also is dangerous for the teacher. I think it puts a lot of um, unnecessary burden and unnecessary responsibility on the teacher. Because I know for myself, like, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people who have been very sick or had extreme disabilities, people who've died. Many students of mine have died. And, you know, like, I think that if I saw myself as a healer, that would have been really hard to take. Like if I, I would have taken on some kind of responsibility for that. Right. And their death means that you failed in your responsibility or something. If you're supposed to be their healer, you know, exactly. And this is not, it's not a healthy boundary. This is not, and it's not true. It's not my responsibility. Um, you know, yoga, again, yoga is healing, but it's not a yoga teacher's responsibility to heal students. And I, like I said, it goes to, for me, it goes back to this kind of ableist view that we have that people with disabilities have something wrong, that illness is bad, that death is bad. You know what I mean? Like these, we have like a lot of judgments around um, different ways of being in our bodies and especially around disability, illness and death. And I actually think they're all part of life and we can embrace all those things. It definitely makes sense. I think that, you know, we've talked before about the role of the teacher and of how not thinking that you have to be the person with all the answers or like now we're talking about, you know, actually being able to heal or fix someone like 
operating from that lens or that mindset, I think is, it's a lot of pressure um, aside from like the other pr problems with it. But I think that, you know, one of the beautiful things about the yoga practice is that if we actually, you know, look at our teaching practice through the lens of yoga philosophy, like all we have to do is go back to the, you know, the truth of our interconnectedness and stuff like that to start to see that like, oh, we're not actually, first of all, like none of our students have any need or lack that we can solve for them. You know, like we're not there to fix them or heal them or do their practice for them. You know, we're there to hopefully give them some tools so that they can do their practice and they can really remember the truth of who they are and all those wonderful things that yeah. the yoga journey, you know, gives us. Um, but I think that this, you know, uh, dominant culture kind of sets us up to understand uh, like teacher student relationships in a different sort of way where there's this like power dynamic and there's authority and there's also, you know, all the lineage and tradition and all the stuff that comes from the yoga practice too. And so like, I think we can get very caught up in thinking that it's supposed to look one way or that mm -hmm. we're there to be in charge or be the sage or fix or whatever. And it actually, it doesn't have to feel that, um, I don't know if constraining is the right word, but it just feels like a lot. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that's the, like, that's the philosophical foundation of the training for me is trying to kind of, um, upend that dynamic and that I think like misunderstanding, um, because I think it's it's pervasive in yoga. I, I think it it, do, it does come from traditional like guru traditions, and I think um, that we should, that's like a whole other episode. I think that we need to talk about. But I do feel like a lot of abuse comes out of that dynamic where you have placed the um, kind of your own personal authority and power in the hands of this other person. you like, you give yourself over to this other person to fix you and heal you. And we, and it's confusing and it's actually, I think it can be dangerous. I think abuse comes out of that. And, and it's also dangerous for the teacher. Like it's not only dangerous for the student, but I think it's dangerous for the teacher. It, it puts us in a position, um, where we have either too much power. Like I remember, you know, sometimes I had students who had like huge, um, I don't know, like transformations from yoga. You know, like I've had that where I've seen students just completely turn themselves around and like heal themselves, honestly. Like it is healing. So I, I, I know that's possible. But it's like, I didn't really do it. Like I was just teaching or sharing or like giving some suggestions, things that I've learned from my teachers passing it along and sharing this space with them and watching them do this. You know what I mean? Yeah, and it's like so easy to put that responsibility on myself and like my ego wanted to. And like, I think the students wanted to also students would sometimes come to me like I had done something to them. You know what I mean? And I think it's a real, it's a dangerous, um, way it's a dangerous path to take as a teacher where you take responsibility for the students um outcomes in that, in yeah that, yeah the, the outcome yeah and i mean i think this is like a lesson in non-attachment like for us as teachers too right because of course we want to see our students do well of course we want to see them feeling better in their bodies or you know being able to get back to the activities they always wanted to do or like whatever the reason is that people come to yoga, you know, but I think that as long as we're attached to the outcome of like any particular student of ours, I think that then we're starting from the wrong place because yeah. we can't control that. And we are there to facilitate and to guide and to make people feel welcome and safe enough that they can do their own practice and turn towards their own selves. And, um, and really, I think, find their personal power. You know, you talked about, like, giving your power away when you expect someone to change or fix you or to, like, hand you a plan for your life. And I think one of the beautiful things about yoga is that it does really help us to understand that we each have agency, like, that we do have that personal power that we can tap into. And 
I think the best teachers are really the ones that show you that about yourself, you know, that, that empower you or, I mean, to be clear, they're not giving you that power, but it's about like kind of shining a light on it and saying like, no, this is yours. Like you own this responsibility, um, of your life ultimately and giving that away to anyone else, you know, is, it is, it diminishes that, that agency or that, that power. And that's, heal- that's healing. Like that, right. that's the kind of healing that I'm interested in. Like, um, to me, that feels like a more cohesive approach, like yoga, like you empower people, like you just said, to like take responsibility for themselves and feel empowered to like make choices that work for that for them. And so, yeah, like what is our job? I'd say like our job, is, like you said it beautifully, and that's to kind of, um, support guide um you know and maybe you know just be like uh even be an example like i think that's a really great way to teach um there's a i don't know if it's okay if i refer to the bhagavad gita but there's a part in here that i always think of when i think about teaching it has to do with um you know Krishna's advice to Arjuna about how to serve um, without attachment, like you were just saying, how to practice karma yoga. Um, So this is in chapter 3, sloka 26. He says, um, a wise person will not disturb the mind of an unwise person who is still attached to the fruits of his or her actions. But by continuously performing perfect selfless action, the wise person influences others in all they do. And so I think going back to what you just said about it's being non-attachment, it's like, actually, if you want to teach yoga, I think be an example, like you have to have incredibly high ethical standards. You have to be an example of non-attachment. And I know that's a lot, like that's a lot to say to yoga teachers. And I don't mean to overwhelm them, but it's like, it's actually freeing. It means that you, you want to um, not think about what you're going to get, you know, you're not focused on the results, how, how you look um, and how if the student's progress is a reflection of you, you have to really have clear boundaries, which is really another way of thinking about non-attachment is clear boundaries. Mm, um, yeah. That loving, loving ones, loving boundaries, you know. Definitely. I mean, I think setting boundaries, you know, it's not about controlling other people. It's about like knowing what is best for yourself and what you it's done out of love and respect for yourself, you know, and what you want to allow and not allow in your life. So I think that's, I think that's very yoga. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's love and respect for yourself and for them. So part of, part of what I think of is like when I teach, I try to hold in my heart, this vision that the students are um, full, that they are, that they have what they need. And so I think, it's like I have this vision of my students that, um, or anyone really who comes to me, that they know, like their intuition, their spirit knows already what's best for them. And that's, it's not a matter of me teaching them that, but actually just like helping them see that, that they have that within themselves. And I feel like that's what yoga helps us with. Yoga gives us tools to kind of remove what's interfering with our own vision our own clear vision of what we need in our lives or what we what's best for us so the yoga practices are about just taking away what's um yeah what's interfering with that clarity i love that yeah okay so you know we talked a little bit about the this is like the philosophy that kind of underpins the the training that we work on together and i wonder if we could dig into some of the more like practical tools um that we offer in the training, but also just to kind of talk about them here. Um, yeah. I know because so. we don't really talk about the philosophy that much in the course. I have a short, a few short talks about it. No, I love it. I, I, I think guess, it's, I yeah. think it's a really good way to set the stage to talk about this other stuff because even though it's not explicitly sort of like now we will have a philosophy lecture, like the whole purpose of the training and the way that it's taught and the way that it's laid out is about that. You know, it is about meeting our students where they are and seeing them as equals and as complete and as whole. And like that informs the way that we teach. So I think it's I think it's really beautiful. And I think it's uh, what makes this training so different is that 
um, the approach is very yogic. You know, it's not just about like, okay, here's how you modify bridge pose for someone that can't get on the floor, but it's really about seeing them as that whole person. So, yeah, and I, I would say in terms of the um, the practical parts of the course, I, I still do try to ground them in philosophy too, which is that to me, there's um, you know, the job of the yoga teacher is to um, keep students safe. So. I'm definitely interested in that, like creating um, safety in the class and helping students to find a way to practice that works for them, that doesn't cause injury or harm for them, which could be trauma-informed teaching, for example, or like um, basic knowledge of um, anatomy and physiology that can help us to um, avoid doing things that might injure, uh, that might exacerbate common injuries. So I'm really interested in that, like. You know, the fact is, like, a lot of students um, have, you know, similar issues. Like, it's something like 50% of seniors have back issues. So I think with that in mind, it's good to think about, well, what kind of poses could exacerbate that, a back problem? Um, and so what to be sensitive to. And then the other thing I would say with the asana part, portion is that I, I try to um, think of it as, instead of, like, trying to learn all these different um, variations or um, adapted forms of the pose to really come at it in a more systematic way. And that's the, the system that I have in place is to think about um, the why behind a practice. Like, yeah. I, you know, so like in the, in the training, we would look at a, a group of poses like backward bends and look at, well, why do we do backward bends? Like what is the purpose of them generally? Um, and also, what are the issues? Like, what other contraindications might there be for backward bends? But then, when we get the why, like, well, backward bends could help with your posture. It could be uh, could help with the breath and feel more open and expanded, or whatever. Then, if I'm going to adapt, you know, a backward bend sitting in a chair or lying in bed, um, how can I bring in those benefits, the why, into the variation that I come up with, so that there's an actual, so it's like grounded in something. You know what I mean? It's not like it's not because yoga isn't about the external form. And I think we get so caught up in that. Yeah. Um, it's an internal experience. Yeah. Right. Like the asana is not the yoga. You know, the, the asana are tools to help us practice the yoga. And it's important. The body is very important, but the body is like a way in. You know what I mean? And I think um, we can get really precious about like okay, well, the, you know, the default or classical expression of this posture is this way. So we need to like, to adapt it, we just need to make the same shape, but in a chair. And like, that doesn't always uh, happen. And it doesn't always like work out to actually, I think, honor the, the essence of what that practice or pose or posture is about. And I think that's one of the really beautiful things about the way uh, this curriculum is, is it doesn't just teach you like, well, now you're going to teach all these poses like Juvena or Amber or whoever teaches them. Right. And now you just right. have to memorize a whole bunch of new shapes like to throw at your students. It's really about, um, well, I mean, it goes back to this thing we've been talking about of like the power is actually in your hands already. <laughs> you know, you have the agency and you have all the like the knowledge that you need to be able to uh, to figure this out. You know, we you don't need us to tell you how to like modify or do a variation or come up with a new, a completely new posture that's going to really like help your student experience the same thing as the other folks who may be able to do something more close to like a classical asana or whatever. You know, it's about understanding it and then being able to have that open dialogue, be able to see your students and meet them where they are so that you can, you know, really be that guide that we talked about in offer them something, uh, that's not, uh, it's not just a, a chair version of whatever, or it's not, well, the class is going to do this. And then you guys could rest in child's pose. You know, it's really about, I think, seeing people and being able to offer them an experience that feels, um, equitable, even though it isn't the same, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, <laughs> I get frustrated in a lot of yoga classes. I actually don't take a lot of public classes anymore. Well, these days, you know, we're kind of online anyway. But, you know, I just would get frustrated in a lot of classes where I feel like it was a, often like an exercise class. And, you know, like that if, if my 
body didn't want to do something that I was less than or I failed in some way. Like I have, you know, obviously I have a history of back issues and I got other stuff going on. And I would just, even though I've been doing yoga so long, I would sometimes feel like I was behind or not welcome. Honestly, like we started with talking about, like I sometimes don't feel welcome. Also as a man, sometimes I wouldn't feel welcome in yoga because it's all women in a lot of places. So I think, I think shifting the dynamic um, within the classroom, changing the culture within that space um, is based on all the things we're talking about. Like, so coming in with like a different motivation, like to me, I, I come into this space like wanting to be, to share, to have fun, to explore. Um, it feels like a, almost like a laboratory more than a, more than a class, yep. like, you know, le- less of a lecture and more of a lab. And, and I think even within a, an open class, you can bring in that dynamic of fun and creativity. And I would say that that's creativity is an important part of, of teaching for me. I think, um, you know, I think we get stuck sometimes on these forms and the series that some gurus have created. Many of them are really not that old. Some of these right. lineages, you know, are... 50 or 100 years old, maybe max. And, you know, I think we can go back further than that and look at like, well, wait, what is yoga really about? And how can we explore that with our body? Um, because like you said, asanas are really important. They're amazing, but they shouldn't interfere. Actually, they should be a they should be a support like asanas are a powerful tool. And like, we just need to know how to use that tool better. Right and empower the students with like knowledge about here's a tool that you can learn to use. So it's like, it's like if I go to like learn about how to do pottery, I just, I want that teacher to teach me like how to use the tools that help me make pottery, not tell me that my pot needs to look like this. Like, that's not the goal. Like I don't want to <laughs> so make art just like everyone else, like, or painting. I mean, really, I should just talk about that. Cause I'm, I am a painter and that's my background. And I get so stuck on that all the time. But it's like, when you learn to paint, the idea isn't to copy the same painting over and over again. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not really the goal. I mean, that could be fun, I guess. But to me, the fun of painting is you learn the skill and then you are creative mm. and you actually express yourself and explore your own like humanity through that, through that platform, through that tool of um, the skills of painting. And yoga is the same way. It's like, you're not there just to like do this pose like that. That's a very, that's like focusing on the skill and losing sight of the actual purpose. Like the purpose is to um, be at peace with yourself, to like um, be at home, you know, in your body and with your mind. And like, those are, they're bigger, like it's bigger than an asana. So like, it really doesn't matter as long as you're safe. It doesn't really matter what that pose looks like on the outside. Yoga is happening inside. And um, I think as a teacher, we can kind of just, we, I think we need to actually get a little more skills, honestly, like get a little more skilled in order to like let go of some of the limitations that we put on ourselves about these skills. Does that make sense? A little bit, but say more. <laughs> um, like I think sometimes as teachers, we've relied on the systems that we've been trained in, like you, you know, you're trained in a lineage and you're told this, teach this, um, you know, this um, sequence of poses and this is all you can do. And actually someone made up that sequence and probably not that long ago. You know what I mean? Like they probably might've just made it up, you know, 50 years ago. And that sequence, it can be a great tool for, for you as a teacher to use as you're learning. But eventually I think you can expand and start to understand the purpose of that sequence. Do you know what I mean? Like you can actually gain enough skill to even understand why the why behind that and then be creative with how you interpret that and share it with who's in front of you in that moment. To me, like a really skilled teacher can be more spontaneous and improvise. And I use that, in, that in a, um, sorry, that analogy a lot too of improvisation, which is similar to painting, but, um, you know, to me, yoga is like an art and, and not, not something that's set in, in stone. We need to bring that creative kind of loving energy to it. Um, and so improv- improvisation means you, um, well, like in music, you would learn the skills you need so that you can improvise in that moment. So if I'm teaching and I have a student comes to me who 
um, is really limited in their movement. Like rather than just be overwhelmed and think and be scared, I could actually feel like, okay, we're going to improvise. Like what's going to work? And like talk to that person and communicate and have a dialogue and be like, try this. Okay. Well, if that doesn't work, what do you think works? Try, try something else. Let me, let me learn from you. Like you are the master of your body. Like I, I, you know, every student knows more about their body than I do. Um, I can learn from them. I can learn from the group. We, they can learn from me. We learn together. I really love the analogy of, you know, that uh, with arts, learning the skill and then like putting in your 10,000 hours, <laughs> you know what I mean? To be able to uh, not just like run through the students through these shapes, but really be able to see them. Like I hear you talking about like having this dialogue and I remember like when I was a student in yoga for the first few years and I basically was like ignored in a lot of classes and I was doing my best, but you know, I didn't know why I couldn't step my foot forward between my hands and like no teacher ever like stopped to explain what was going on. And I remember the first time, like I did have someone that like saw me, you know, that saw me and was like, this person is trying to have a serious yoga practice like this person has a body with some limitations but is obviously also able to do things and um, it just was so amazing and affirming to be seen in that way and to I think teachers are a little afraid to shake things up and not just like like we have this expectation about yoga classes that like we're gonna come in the space is very quiet it's very clean it's very perfect it's not at all like our house and then <laughs> or my house and then and then we get there and then the teacher you know floats across the room and is just talking in this calm voice and no one else is allowed to talk and you just have to do what the teacher says and. I mean, I agree. It's funny you said uh, the yoga lab because I just got finished teaching at a 200-hour training online yesterday, and I mentioned that. I was like, the class doesn't have to be this template that we think it has to be where the teacher is the only one that gets to talk. Like, you know you can ask your students questions. <laughs> you know you can stop and say, like, gather around. We're going to chat about this and look at some stuff. And I think that provide so much freedom to be able to not just like recite a set of um, poses or a script or predetermined whatever, but that creativity where you really start to understand what the practice is about and let your students co-create that experience with you. Like yoga is an internal practice, but we do it in community. And so yeah. I think if we don't take advantage of that back and forth and that interdependentness and the interconnectedness and all of those things that are so amazing about community. And the, like you said, the students are the masters of their own bodies, like the, the master of that knowledge. Anyway, your students are the most knowledgeable about their own bodies and the experts of living there. And so I think that we do a disservice when we don't share the mic a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I think it. I think it's because the, a lot of teachers are insecure. Like, and I, and I don't. And I am too. Like, I have a lot of, um, you know, anxiety is something I w work with a lot in my life. And like, especially when I was a newer teacher, I there was no way that I could have like even done this right away. Like, it took me a long time to get to that place. But I feel like I feel like what the training, what I'm trying to do in the training, is basically like give teachers what I've learned over many, many years and like also just kind of give them the self-confidence to like step out of the box, whatever, to just like to explore, to do like what you just said, to like be willing to, to be willing to be wrong, actually, um, to say, I don't know, you know, and to just ask, well, what do you think, you know, or, or, yeah, it takes a certain kind of confidence, actually, I think as a teacher to, um, give the power back to the students. So I feel like the training is basically that. It's, it's like the minimum knowledge that I think yoga teachers should have to, in order to um, kind of re-envision that dynamic that happens in the yoga space. And, um, and like one of the things we talk about a lot uh, is about teaching multiple levels at the same time. And I, what I've noticed over the years is that more experienced teachers had figured that out themselves. But I saw that newer teachers really didn't get it and like you said like sometimes they'd be like okay just take child's pose if you, if you don't if you can't do this pose like just go ahead and rest and i think that um 
that's a problem for me. Like, I feel like we should be offering something for every student in every practice. And so we work on that a lot in the training, like this multiple levels. In fact, you helped me a lot with that. I remember you came up with this kind of, um, I think, um, practice workshop where we go through and we do it together. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, this is one of those practical tools that I think is so brilliant is just when you're teaching people with mixed um, abilities or mixed positions where some students may be practicing from the seat of the chair and others may be on the mat or at the wall, um, where we have folks in different places um, practicing the same postures together, the same practices. And um, I think that it can feel really overwhelming to be like, okay, well, we have all these people doing different things. Like, how can I possibly create a united experience? But it's really about being able to, you know, set up the different um, variations of whatever pose or posture practice you're doing. And then finding these like common cues that I think work to unify the experience of the class. And so when we think about like, what are the things that we encourage students to do while they're in asana? You know, like, I think we go back to this question you asked, like, why are we doing that asana? Why are we doing that pranayama practice? Why do we you know, practice concentration, like we can go back to the why and then really mine that for like experiences that we want to cultivate or something we want to teach. Maybe we cue about the breath. Maybe we cue about um, a, a sensation in the body or a muscular engagement that needs to happen. Like there are unifying things in these different variations. When we choose a variation, if we really go to the why, go to that, like, what is the point of the, the posture, the practice, then I think we can create a rich experience for our students where we may be, like, setting up separately, but we're going to practice together. We're all going to have that unified um, experience of embodiment and of inquiry, and then we come out together. And so even though the class may look very different than, like, what a traditional yoga class might look like, um, at least in the West, or like uh, uh, what we're used to. It may not look like what we're used to, um, but I think it can have the very same feeling. You like you can still leave with that feeling um, and that you're able to practice yoga. Um, I think it's a really subtle sort of shift, uh, but it can be such a big difference for people. Um, you're not, you know, teaching you whole new uh, words and <laughs> phrases are something that's super foreign to what you're used to. It's just a little bit of a switch of how we think about the, the sequences and the postures that we design and we guide people through. And we say the words in a little bit different order sometimes, but we really can create that same experience for people that, you know, where we support their growth and their transformation and that they do that. You know, we don't do that. <laughs> we just are there to support and to offer some ways in. So. Yeah. Thank you that you described it so beautifully. And I think, um, I think the course is kind of like, like I said, it's like it, just like the beginning of a journey to me um, of accessibility and, and equity in yoga. And like, actually, you know, the, the whole platform that we've created, the Accessible Yoga Training School, I think is kind of growing out of this course because to me, the course is, is just 30 hours, you know, um, and we touch on a lot of other um, special topics. Like I often, we often have guest teachers come in, especially when we do it online. Um, talking about like yoga for yoga and racism or um, yoga and consent and agency or yoga for seniors, yoga for kids with disabilities, um, trauma-informed yoga, yoga for incarcerated populations. Like we have a lot of um, special workshops. And I actually think that each of those is really, again, just like the very beginning of a, of a journey. Um, and I always think of, so I think of it kind of like a survey, like Accessible Yoga 101. Um, you know, where then people might want to specialize. To, so I guess it's like, it's like the minimum level you need to like, I think, I think really all yoga teachers should have, honestly. I think it should be just required part of every 200 hour training. Um, but, um, but, you know, people who do it with us then can go on and, you know, take additional training, hopefully through our platform now, um, with some of our, um, some of the teachers that we love and that we are interested in learning from. 
uh, in these more specialized areas. So I guess it's like accessibility. It's like looking at making the asanas accessible, making your teaching accessible, but then also really just beginning to look at larger issues that are um, really connected to the to, to yoga and to um, that are of a concern to the yoga community um, and ways to make your teaching more accessible and more effective, I think, by looking at um, becoming, you know, getting additional training in special in specialty areas. And I think, um, you know, I've had a lot of students that have taken the training that have told me that they really didn't have a direction for their teaching practice other than like, yeah, I'm a yoga teacher. You know, I teach some classes every week at the local studio or whatever, but they really didn't feel like they had a a direction to take their work or a way to use their practice for like social justice or to make a difference in their community or however they were, you know, kind of hoping and that the training really gave them that, like it kind of fired them up in a way to know that, you know, yoga and yoga teaching especially can be something more than just uh, being an exercise instructor, although I love exercise classes, <laughs> you know, and that's fun to do fitnessy things together that yoga teachers, I think, can really um, step into their power as the, like, resilient kind of community leaders that I think really is required, like, at this time, but at all the times, um, that, you know, we, I think, with this yoga practice and especially those of us that have like dedicated our life to sharing it with other people, like we know how powerful it can be. And, um, you know, to, to show us all the ways that we're interconnected. And I think, um, like right now with our lives have changed so much in the past few months. Um, you know, I think people are really looking for that type of leadership. I think people are very engaged at this moment to, want to make a difference, to want to make change and really create the world that they want to see. And I know that, you know, the the tools and the technology that yoga gives us to be able to manage our minds and really stay calm and find equanimity, even though, you know, our circumstances may be far beyond what we would have chosen. Like that, that's all in there, you know, that's in there and that's available for us to take to take that knowledge, to take those tools and to harness that to really make the change that we want to see in our community and to have the courage, I think, to do that because things are kind of a mess right now, right? No one knows <laughs> what the yoga world is going to look like going forward. Like no one knows what's going to happen with COVID and in the U.S. Um, especially. And so I think it takes a lot of courage to stand in that unknown and to really say that like, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to show up, you know, I'm going to be out here for my community and for my students and for myself and for my teachers and for all the reasons, you know, that we choose to dedicate our lives to this practice and to sharing it. And so, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I don't want to say that the accessible yoga training can like save the world or anything, but I believe that like, (laughs) I believe that the yoga teachers that participate in these programs, like I've just seen over and over again, like how big of a difference you are all making in your own communities. And it just gives me such hope to like do all of that um, in a community of people who are, who are doing the same things that I'm doing. Cause I, I think, I don't know, Jeevana, you and I have talked about this a lot. Like it can feel kind of isolating, you know, to feel like you're the only one that, you know, wants to look beyond the, um, you know, advanced yoga is advanced asana kind of lens, you know, or look beyond the capitalist consumerist lens or look beyond the, you know, beauty standards and the fitnessy body image lens. Like there are so many things that I think people put onto yoga or have used yoga for that aren't really the core of the teachings that aren't really true to the roots of the practice. And so it can feel isolating to be one of those teachers that wants to really use the practice to create more justice and more equity and more accessibility. And so I think that's one of the things that's so powerful about um, this community and just being in community around these issues is, you know, it's tiring, like swimming upstream. You need somebody to like grab your hand every now and then and be like, hey, we're all still here. We're doing it. We're all in it, you know. 
Yeah, I do. Thank you so much for bringing that up. I was going to say, I think that's probably the best part <laughs> of the training. You know, that's what m- many people have said to me also is like meeting other people who share that same that same like goal, that same like drive to just that. I don't know what it is, just like a passion to share yoga and to share the heart of yoga and also to feel like we're not alone doing it. I mean, that's what keeps me going. And like, it, that's why I love leading the training. Every time I get to be with a group of people and feel like supported by them because I get their energy and their enthusiasm for something that I think, wait, is it just me? Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's why I love talking to you too, because it's like, I, I know that we share that. And um, so many people do. I, I feel so grateful to the people who have taken the training already to our accessible yoga community. I just feel like it's such a beautiful group of people that um, to me, they really get yoga and um, really want to, I don't know, like it feels like a very generous community um, and really heart centered, like people who really are um, wanting to be of service in the world and not make it all about them. So like, I don't know, just, I, it can almost, it almost makes me want to cry. Actually. I just, I feel really touched by the people that I've been, um, you know, within these trainings and the accessible yoga teachers I see out there and the work they're doing. It's just so, uh, it's just so incredible to me. So anyway, maybe, maybe we should leave it at that. Cause I think you and I could probably talk about this forever, but, um, Oh my God, I know <laughs> we could leave it there. All right. Thank y'all for joining us again. Um, Thank you, Jivana. Thank you, Amber. Talk to you next week. All right, bye. Thank you for joining us for another week of the Accessible Yoga Podcast. We hope you'll join us over at our website, AccessibleYogaTraining.com, where you can see everything that we're up to, including our flagship Accessible Yoga Training Online. This 30-hour continuing education training is open for registration today through next Tuesday. Class is going to start September 9th. And if you're looking for continuing education that will teach you a new way of thinking about yoga postures and practices that does everything we talked about in this podcast, honors the essence of yoga, really allows you to design multiple level classes where students have the ability to practice together with ease, no matter what shape or size or age or experience level or ability they have. You'll be able to get support from experts around topics like trauma-informed teaching, working with larger bodies, yoga for seniors, and much, much more with our team of accessible yoga trainers. And since we're learning at home now, no travel expenses, everything's recorded and captioned, and you can review materials and work at your own pace. If this work is calling to you, we hope that you'll join us. You can sign up over at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. Enrollment is open starting today just for one week. So we hope that we'll see you in the training. Scholarships and payment plans are available. Check us out at AccessibleYogaTraining.com. And please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate your feedback. And we're continuing to make this podcast a little bit better each week. Thanks to all of you tuning in, subscribing, and leaving reviews. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.